Welcome to Humdrum History. We're going to be placing you in the daily lives of the elite soldier, the provincial governor and the simple baker. There's plenty we know about these famous figures and their awe-inspiring achievements, but how did their daring and dashing decisions affect the lives of those not remembered? Join me as I explore what it might have been like to follow some of the greatest leaders known to history. What would a cavalry commander of Alexander the Great have thought as he lined up on the dusty field of Galgamela? Can you imagine a conversation between Caesar's legionaries as they manned the double wall of the siege of Alessia in Gaul? What about those in the home front, running businesses and keeping empires moving as world-changing events happen around them? What stories might their lives hold? This is episode one of Hundrum History in the Alexander the Great and his Cavalry Commander series. In this first episode, we'll explore what it might have been like to follow a young, impetuous and brilliant commander through hardship, battle and victory. When Alexander was finished, the empire created was vast, unique and wildly distinct in its parts. What was it like to travel with the Hellenic League army led by Alexander? To leave your home, travel far, far away and fight unknown enemies on the word of a single man? Episode 1 is told through the eyes of a soldier of the companion cavalry, Alexander's heavy horse. Macedonian battle tactics often relied on a heavily armoured phalanx of pikemen, fixing the enemy in one place and then using their swift cavalry to ride round the sides of the enemy and flanking and pincer movements. Alexander dragged his army from Macedonia in Central Europe around the known world and into some parts yet undiscovered at the time. He secured his northern border from Thrace and swept through the Greek states with ease. His soldiers then accompanied him as they raced through the Persian Empire of Darius III in Syria, Egypt and modern-day Iraq. If that wasn't enough of a journey, Next was a trip into modern-day Iran to take the capital of Persepolis, and finally, on to India, and that's where the genius, strategy, and personal aura of Alexander finally ran out. His men refused to journey further into India and had reached their breaking point. It's a fascinating moment in history where after so many victories, so much success, and so many kilometres covered, the army said, enough. What did those soldiers experience? Why did they continue to follow Alexander on his mad empire-building dash? What other options did they have? Could they have left if they wanted to? Were they so far from home that Alexander was their only source of familiar light? Using the historical sources, a little human psychology and some fair assumptions, let's jump into the episode and find out what life was like following Alexander to glory, disaster and finally mutiny. I'm going to take three important snapshots in this story and use them to examine the mindset, motivations and experiences of our cavalry soldier. Before we dive into this lived historical experience, I'll give you a quick overview of the state of play and where our beginning point is. At the start of this story, you'll find yourself in modern-day northern Greece. You're in the city of Pella, the Macedonian capital. It's 336 BCE and Philip II, the father of Alexander and king of Macedon, has just been assassinated. His 20-year-old son has taken the throne, and as with any royal assassination, the court and the kingdom are in shock. Many of Macedon's most perennial opponents, the nearby states of Athens, Thebes, Thessaly and Thrace, they all see this as a prime opportunity to regain some of their lost independence. Philip had created the Hellenic League a few years earlier, having basically overpowered much of the rest of Greece, bringing them into an alliance. Just two years earlier, in 338 BCE, Macedon fought a vicious battle at Corona, dominating the now scattered forces of Athens and Thebes. An 18-year-old Alexander and his cavalry force were actually at that battle, and first broke the Greek lines with a swift cavalry charge, aimed at a gap created by infantry manoeuvring. 
Greece was subdued, war was over, and the terrorised people of the Greek area could finally enjoy some peace. Alexander was a golden child and a dashing heir to the throne of the ruler of Greece, basically. And then Philip's murderer plunged a knife into his chest. The peace was broken, and Alexander was unleashed. Now's our first opportunity to jump into the life of our cavalry commander, on the brink of embarking on a campaign of power displays, brutal travel, and empire consolidation with their newly crowned ruler. Your Menander, effectively a knight in the Macedonian kingdom, part of the elite companion cavalry. As one of roughly 2,000 mounted soldiers, you're the bodyguard of Alexander, as well as fighting as the heavy cavalry, punching holes in battle. You're wealthy enough to own horses, armour and weapons, and probably you have land too. And your world has just changed. The old king is dead, and the new king is young and ambitious. I wonder what would go through your head in that moment, in that moment in time and place. Personally, there's something I've always struggled with when it comes to historical perspectives. Looking back into the past and examining the lives of people more than 2,000 years ago, or even just 500, can we really understand how they thought? For the vast majority of our existence on Earth, life has not been this relatively calm and peaceful journey that we live in the developed world. It's not even that for billions of people today in less fortunate nations. So what do these people think, for example, when their well-loved and mighty warrior king is assassinated in front of their eyes? Was this a foundation-trembling event in their worldview? Or was this a violent but relatively typical part of the landscape for them? For the modern viewer, the idea of a soldier rushing the stage at a political celebration and repeatedly stabbing the leader of your country? Well, it just seems like something that would make us question our society, our safety, maybe even our way of life. Now, if you're a Macedonian cavalry commander, this might not even be the first time you've seen specifically Philip being stabbed. If you fought in an infantry and cavalry battle before, then you survived that battle, and you probably inflicted some similar wounds to many other enemy fighters. You've seen the aftermath of battle, you've smelled it, you've walked through it. Our Menander has seen combat before, but on a smaller scale, and never involving the large armies that had come. Most soldiers hadn't, really. And yet, a Roman historian talks about the, the resolve of the Roman soldiers, saying, quote, In a word, every single man among them is so well trained that at the least signal they can make every motion of the art of war. End quote. Does that sound like a traumatised soldier? Does that sound like soldiers who are, who are feeling the burden of their, their actions? Not to go too much off topic, but psychological trauma was reported in the Assyrian Empire 1300 years before this, by Athenian hoplites, and by Roman legionaries too. It's impossible to say how widespread it would be, but it seems likely that many soldiers would have been affected by repeatedly experiencing what I can only really describe as chaos, blood, death, and obviously on the other side as well, joy, courage, and victory. As we explore these historical perspectives, I think it's important to not view these characters as pieces on a chessboard. The great man theory of history says that Alexander took his pieces, these military units, with him and deployed them with his unique style, unique aggression, ambition. But that's not a representation of reality. Soldiers die, families are created, and motivations change for every single man and woman in their army. These are not total war army units that you can move and use and abuse and then just replace afterwards. Menander then, our cavalry commander. What might be running through his mind on the eve of one of the greatest Macedonian military excursions to subdue the recently brave Greek states after the assassination of his father? What would you think, knowing what he knows, 
He's part of a superior force in the area. And he knows that just a few years ago, his side absolutely dominated these same Greek states that they're about to face off with. First, however, they had to deal with something a little bit scarier. The Thracian tribes, formerly subdued, were also beginning to show some signs of mutinous energy too. They had to be taught a lesson first. Located in the modern-day Balkan states, Romania-Slovenia type area, around 800 kilometers from Macedon, the Thracian tribes inspired fear in many of their enemies, and they were used as shock troops by the Romans, part of their fearsome auxiliary forces. Over the last 25 years, the now-dead Philip II expanded Macedonian borders to, to encompass most of those city-states of ancient Greece, in Thrace and in Thebes, more than 40 tribes in the Thracian kingdom alone. With his death, both of these long-fought neighbours decided it was the best possible time to throw off Macedonian control. And Alexander, with his spectacular Macedonian pike formations and fast-moving cavalry, were the ones to re-exert that dominance, heavier than ever before. Let's jump into our first situation, talking about the Battle of Thebes in 335 BCE. The campaign to subdue their newly bold neighbours took the army all the way to Thebes, finally, after Persian and other Greek states supported the Theban troops and they'd been causing havoc in the area for a while. When it came time to show what their support was really worth though, Athens and Sparta thought about sending troops, Sparta even sent some out a little distance from the city, but in the end, withdrew and didn't send anyone. Thebes was totally alone and facing a vastly superior army under Alexander's control. While the battle began slowly, Greek historian Diodorus Siculus tells us that one of the Theban city gates was left unguarded, and the attacking Macedonian army pushed through and into the city. Let's jump into the perspective of our character now. As you continue to move forward with the rest of your unit, you're slowly approaching the city of Thebes, burning and damaged from the attack. Your army's been on the forward move these last few days, appearing before the city suddenly, when the Macedonian garrison inside is trapped by the Theban army. One part of your army moves to destroy and tear down the palisade wall in front of the army. A second section moves to confront the Theban battle line, and a final section awaits in reserve. The battle lines meet, but make very little progress either way, and the palisade is difficult to destroy. You sit with your cavalry unit in the reserves, waiting for a flank to hit, or a gap to enter as the infantry fight opens up over time. However, as the battle progresses, one of the city gates is left unlocked and unguarded, and your unit hears the trumpet call that sends you into the fight. You've spent the last hour hearing the grunts, cries, and shouts of the infantry battle ahead, and maybe you can even smell it. A modern soldier is asked to do many difficult things, but I think it must be incredibly rare that any soldier now faces a situation like this one we have in front of us here. You're at a battle you expect to win, and one the other side has little hope of escaping. Not only are you part of a strong and aggressive army, well-led, the other side isn't remotely prepared. Alexander moved quickly, and like Julius Caesar, used this mobility to take armies by surprise. The Theban forces are so thinly stretched, they bring all the slaves up onto the walls, and free them if they'll fight. A desperate situation, made worse by the fact that there's a Macedonian garrison in the central citadel of the city, who may sally out at the first sign of support. Menander, our Macedonian cavalry commander, rides forwards with his troops, pushing towards the now open gate, as Theban troops rush to try to block their entry into the city. The open gate is a site of a scrambled infantry fight, but the Theban troops are not ready, and the Macedonian infantry is merciless. You can see the panicking faces of the men, seeing disaster arriving, and no way to stem the tide. You can see that their soldiers are looking behind them, and they see no help arriving. 
at the first sign of a break in the Theban infantry line, you spur your horse forward, leading your men as fast as possible into the side of a unit being pushed backwards by your powerful pike infantry. The last few moments of the charge are a shock of arrows overhead and all around, noise and hectic movement before the final second where you aim your horse and your three metre long spear into the side of a turning enemy. The timing? Perfect. And your unit hits the enemy like thunder and lightning, knocking down exhausted men and thrusting spears into fearful bodies. As the units collapse under the weight of their panic and the pressure of the Macedonian attack, you try to look around to see what's happening close by, but the dust and moving troops don't let up for a second, and your full attention is dragged back to the front line as your troops are still engaging the mostly broken Theban infantry line. You drop your long spear, broken in the body of an enemy soldier, and pull out your sword. You keep your horse moving forward, feeling other riders close to you, giving you a sense of security from that direction at least. But there's danger still to the front, as boxed-in Theban units still fight. You urge your horse to move forward further, getting close to an attacking soldier, and as he tries to avoid the wall of horse muscle, you swing down your sword and sink it deep into the exposed neck of the soldier, cutting deep and leaving a man bleeding on the floor as your horse moves over him. There's no time for a feeling except for a barely controlled panic. All the training in the world couldn't possibly prepare a person for this type of close battle. Your own infantry is now pushing through the gate and into the city, and while you move further back in the line, you watch your own cavalry unit push further into this flinching Theban infantry. You feel the urgency and panic start to subside in yourself. The walls are still buzzing with enemy slaves, but they're trapped with no escape, and they will not survive. The Macedonian infantry are moving through the city, and they're not gathering prisoners either. You remember the swinging weight in your hand, and look at the blood drying down the blade of your sword. You feel the stickiness of that dark red liquid as it gums your hand to the handle, and you think of the body, the person that just had that blood inside them. You look around, and underneath you and behind you there are dead soldiers, and crawling bodies not far from that state, with Macedonian soldiers moving among them, turning the latter to the former with cold and angry efficiency. Let's pause this moment. Let's try to imagine what you or I might think in this moment. If you woke up to this scene, you'd know you'd entered a nightmare more horrible than most. If the war and death wasn't enough, the smell of the wounds, internal organs and the fire starting to spread across the city would be too much, surely. You just hacked into a man's neck with a sword and watched his face contort in pain and shock as arteries were severed in a burst of cold and sharp pain. You still have his lifeblood splattered up the side of your arm and chest. There has to have been a first battle for every soldier in this army, a first exposure to this type of suffering, and it must have been absolutely brutal. To some extent, these people can't have viewed the situation as we would, or the entire army could never have functioned. I don't even believe a modern-day soldier could deal with this level of trauma, although potentially the level of individual control removing much of the distance warfare of the modern era, means you can at least see your enemy and know who you're fighting. Join me for the next episode, where we follow Menander into the Battle of the Granicus against the Persian Empire, and delve into the after-effects of this intense and close-up brutal fighting that we just heard on his psyche as we lead up to that fight. I hope you've enjoyed the episode, bringing you a more personal perspective on history, and showing you what life might have been like from the viewpoint of fascinating historical characters following great leaders. Subscribe to the podcast and get an alert for part two of Alexander and his cavalry commander.